You're listening to the King's Road Podcast, the pod that takes you on a journey exploring every facet of Chelsea Football Club, from the club's philosophy to why the club plays in World Blue, with your host, Joe Tweeds. Hello everyone and welcome back to the King's Road Podcast. I am your host, Joe Tweeds, and today we are going to take a fascinating look at Chelsea off the pitch. As we explore, I think the work done by both the Chelsea Foundation and also the club's role in society through a variety of initiatives. I am delighted to say that uh, joining me today are two special guests from the club, Rola Brentlin, who is the Head of Special Projects at Chelsea, and also joined by Simon Taylor, Head of the Chelsea Foundation. Now, before I have Rola and Simon sort of introduce themselves, I just wanted to set the scene a tiny bit for the episode. Um, as somebody who at least likes to think that they're sort of some sort of clued up, clued up kind of Chelsea fan, the uh, the research for this episode, I think, was, was kind of mind-blowing for me. Um, you know, absolutely kind of blown away by the number of initiatives that the club is, is involved in, that it oversees, that it sort of... Um, conducts around the globe and I think certainly from my perspective it seems like a, a good opportunity to highlight some of these initiatives and to present the the club in I think the light that it should be um, certainly when it comes to sort of media scrutiny and everything everyone likes to focus on the negatives with every football club but I think certainly from from what I've been reading and certainly what I've been re- researching that uh, both the foundation and certainly in terms of the initiatives that the Chelsea uh, are involved in I think it certainly goes to, to show that there's a lot more than, than meets the eye when it comes to, to Chelsea. So, um, yeah, I wanted to to thank you both before we you sort of kick off here in terms of the sort of incredible work that you both are managing and overseeing. I think obviously this isn't here to sort of pat, pat each other on the back and, and things of that nature, but it's, it's really, I think, um, kind of a, a superb reflection, I think, of the club's role, both in sort of a societal basis and also just in terms of the, the charitable work that we do as well. And I think, again, highlighting that for me was, was very important, particularly given how the club has, I think, probably been a leading light over the, the past 18 months during these sort of pandemic times as well. So just to start with, I think it'd be, be interesting if we maybe start with you, Rola, if you could give maybe the listeners just an overview of sort of who you are, kind of what your role is at the club, um, and also just how long you've, you've been at Chelsea. Sure. Thank you so much. And thanks for, for having me. Um, so I have two roles, really. One is um, with the club and head of special projects, as, as you um, introduced me, um, which is really projects that are somehow connected um, to connected or funded directly by the owner. So for example, um, the work we've done with anti-Semitism, which is very much an initiative from Mr. Abramovich, um, some of the um, initiatives we have against racism, some of the work uh, during the pandemic. So really projects that are um, a bit out of the scope of what we normally do or where yeah. we want to increase the profile further of those projects is where I would get involved with, um, within my department. Um, and my other role is, is looking after some of Mr. Abramovich's charities worldwide, which is why, of course, we want to have that connection with the club um, as many of the projects kind of go are alongside with the values of, of the owner and, and what he wants to do in the community. Yeah, I mean, I, I just sort of, I, before we get to Simon, I think just one of the questions that pops into my head is, is is how sort of important is having a vehicle like Chelsea, sort of a global football club, how important is that in terms of being able to to maybe put in place some of the owner's kind of charitable desires? Is that is that something that is seen as a positive in terms of the correlation and the effect that it might have? Oh, definitely. I think, I mean, if we take anti-Semitism as an example, so Mr. Abramovich has for the past 20 years, um, contributed and donated to different causes supporting the Jewish community across the world. But I think what we could add with bringing Chelsea onto this, um, to this field is really getting a voice out there and being also part of a conversation. Um, 
football has enormous power. We have, I think, 100 million followers um, across different um, social media channels. And it really gives us that opportunity to try to educate, communicate, and raise awareness of these important issues. So the club definitely can play a very important role um, in addition to, of course, the charities that Mr. Abramovich undertakes uh, privately. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I think, that the, as you say, the, the sort of the link between being, between football being able to actually use it for for, for sort of good is actually, uh, yes, yeah, so, certainly something that we've been seeing a lot more recently, which is, is fantastic. Now, I think moving on to, to Simon, a very similar question, Simon, in terms of, you know, sort of your role as, as you know, heading up the, the Chelsea Foundation. Um, what does that sort of entail for you on kind of a day-to-day basis or sort of generally? And also, again, in terms of in terms of how long you've been at Chelsea, um, you know, how, how long have you been at the club and, and have you always sort of been in, in this kind of role as well? Hi, uh, first of all, thanks for, thanks for inviting me on today. Um, I've actually been at Chelsea now for 15 years. Um, we set the, the Chelsea Foundation up about 10 years ago um, with the remit to use football as a force for good in, in communities. So we use well, not just football, but sports to, to educate, to motivate and to inspire people of all ages um, to um, to integrate better in, in communities, to use sport as a way to communicate, to use football as, as a way to tackle some of the social issues that communities face, um, you know, not just in London, but throughout throughout England and internationally as well. Um, so it's a very broad um, remit, as you can imagine. So predominantly we use uh, football to get kids actively engaged in, in exercise, playing football um, in and out of school. We use football to help um, boost educational levels. So, you know, writing match reports, working out the diameter of the pitch at Stamford Bridge, working out the number of goals scored throughout the season. And all of a sudden, you know, young people are doing quite complex mathematics or, you know, quite detailed uh, writing skills. And, you know, that's just, you know, a small example, working out how how a football can move through the air and how you get swerve on a ball. All of a sudden, physics starts getting brought in. So we've got quite a wide ranging science, technology, engineering, mathematics arm to what we're doing as well. Um, we have a, a large, wide-ranging international program. So, with with programs in in Singapore, in in the US, uh, and in Europe as well, um, as well as supporting charities. Past players is is a big area of our work. Um, and all in all, it, it's about using football to bring people together because football is this has this unique ability to, you know, just to speak you know, across across communities, across ages, across religions, yeah. across races, you know, and it's, it's this sort of, um, you know, amazing opportunity to to use football to, to help benefit people of, of all ages, but predominantly young people as well. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a fantastic answer. I was going to ask you why we created a foundation and what the activities were, but I think the answer was, was very encompassing there. It, it seems to me certainly that sort of the foundation, I've got a, a quote from, from Bruce Buck, you know, he said that we want to continue to use sport to educate and inspire it seems like we want to sort of use football as a vehicle to really actually create sort of quite, uh, you know, kind of long, long uh, lasting sort of change in, in both young people and obviously the sort of communities surrounding Chelsea and globally as well. So using it as this sort of vehicle for change. And I think, again, 
know, the point about sort of the the way that you can actually use sport to create, I think, interest, particularly amongst young, you know, young people, whether it is uh, literacy or whether it is mathematics or whether it's, you know, kind of the basics of education. I think it's a, it's a really, really kind of a smart, uh, smart way in terms of actually, you know, getting people interested in, in, in topics that are hopefully are going to benefit them in the, in the long term as well. Now, in, in terms of the, the foundation, um, I appreciate that this certainly probably isn't a, a contest or there's not like a league table with points, et cetera, but, I noticed when sort of doing research that a company called Third Sector, I think, sort of do charitable research. I kind of noted that Chelsea certainly over the past couple of years have been sort of one of the most generous clubs in terms of, of charitable donations and in some cases by, by, by quite some distance. In terms of the, the actual size of the foundation, in terms of its, its reach, what, what would you sort of equate the, the size of the foundation to in terms of the, the reach that it has globally? Um, just in terms, of, I suppose, the emphasis that the, the ownership and the board place on, on, on giving back to, you know, sort of the, the communities around them. I'm, I'm happy to take that. So in terms of uh, where we are in, in the league table, as it were, we are <laughs> by far and away number one. Um, in terms of the amount of investment that goes through the foundation into our communities, and also in terms of the geographical reach. Um, as I said before, we, we've got programmes ranging in, in England, for example, from Kent all the way through to Cornwall. Um, no other football club has that sort of reach that, that Chelsea Football Club has. And internationally, as well as Rola mentioned, you know, we've got you know, a huge amount of, of global fans and global followers. And, you know, the, the lessons that we learned um, with programmes when we first started 10 years ago, we can we can take to other countries and, and, and adapt and, and tailor make them to tackle some of the issues that uh, that different communities globally face as well. So. Yeah, I'm I'm very proud of of where we've come from in those ten years to where we are now, which is, you know, by far and away um, the largest football club community organisation out there. Yeah, it seems certain, as you say, in in the past ten years to to be such a a kind of leading, I suppose, light in terms of of kind of charitable initiatives, in terms of the the scope and the different sort of initiatives and, and I suppose different sort of, of of ways that the club actually uses its sort of image and, and its brand to, to impact communities. As I said, I think in the, the introduction, I was, you know, shocked in a very pleasant way just to see the actual number of, of different sort of initiatives that we do. And it's not kind of, you know, all sort of very kind of cookie cutter and, and, and the kind of same approach. It seems to be, as you say, um, you know, kind of touching upon every sort of facet of not only society in, in the UK, obviously where, where the club is based, but but globally as well. Um, I want to just touch on, I think now certainly spend some time on, on kind of the, let's say that the kind of the high profile initiatives that, that probably are maybe sort of the, the kind of the key pieces that maybe the club has been working on over the past couple of years. And I think maybe this is, is one back to, to Rolu in terms of the, the sort of say no to anti-Semitism campaign, you know, and also the links with the Imperial War Museum and also this, this, uh, Hidden Heroes, um, which I know that, that the owner has has helped fund in terms of of creating those sort of exhibitions and those sorts of um, you know activities for people to go and engage with. Can you touch a little bit upon you know sort of the the program sort of from its inception to kind of where it is today, and also in terms of those kind of war museum and the hidden heroes aspect as well? Because again, I, th these are things that I was completely completely unsure or completely uh, you know kind of not not clued in about in terms of what the club was was doing. So I think having some 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 colour on that would be would be interesting thing, interesting for for fans to to hear about in terms of those particular initiatives. Of course. Um, so with the Say No to Anti-Semitism campaign, we started discussing it in two thousand and um, eighteen, I guess. Um, no, seventeen. Sorry, and it really 
so the foundation does really great work and has done great work on discrimination, racism, which obviously includes anti-Semitism for many years. But I think in 2017, there was a general concern that anti-Semitism was on the rise um, across Europe, um, in the US and elsewhere. And was there anything else we could do to try to highlight um, the issue and try to tackle it as much as we can as a club? Um, I don't think any football club has ever, you know, all, I think all clubs do great work and everybody picks their topic that becomes kind of something they become the experts on. I'm not sure anyone has really picked anti-Semitism per se and before, before Chelsea did. Um, and to some extent during those discussions, it was a bit, there were, I remember some concerns externally raised that, you know, how is this a controversial topic? You, you know, could drag, get dragged yeah. into conversations that you might not want to discuss and, and so forth. But it was pretty clear from, um, from the board that, you know, this is something we want to do. This is an important topic. Let's try to understand how we as a club can take part in this conversation. So the first thing we did was engage the fans. I think this is absolutely key to kind of say, this is what we want to do. What are your thoughts? What are your ideas? And I recall from those early meetings, lots and lots of great ideas um, came out, including, you know, how to work with stewards, how to um, work with, um, let's say, education and, and how to deal with anyone who um, breaks the rules, let's say, in a stadium and, and things like that. I remember those initial conversations being very helpful. But by the time we launched the, the campaign in 18, we basically made sure, you know, we had Holocaust survivors visiting fan groups. We had Holocaust survivors visiting uh, the men's team, the women's team, the academy to really make sure everyone at the club from, you know, from the board to the fans, to the players, to staff understood what we're doing and why it's so important to do this. So I think because of that approach, we've never really had any setbacks. I think it's been pretty clear why this is important. Um, and that we've done this as a kind of one club, one team, yeah, uh, one one team approach. Um, so as part of that, I mean, there's been so many activities now. I think the campaign has grown tremendously over these years. What became very clear to us is that lots of global groups, such as the World Jewish Congress, the ADL, um, the Holocaust Educational Trust and others, really wanted to partner with Chelsea um, because they saw you know, what our channels could do and what we can bring to the table. It's not just yeah. funding. It's about the players. It's about their reach they have. And I think it's also about that unexpected, um, the unexpected partnership, as I usually say. So maybe people don't expect a football club to talk about these issues. And hence, we can actually catch the attention um, to, to, to try to, um, to get more people on board to this important fight. So you know, we've brought fans and group of fans to Auschwitz, uh, which I think is a very, um, everybody should do who wants to learn more about, yeah. about this uh, period in time. Um, we've done friendly games in Boston where we raised $4, millions, um, $4 million to organizations fighting anti-Semitism. We've taken the women's team to Israel where we had a slightly different twist and actually used football to bring together Arab and Jewish kids um, to show on the power to kind of unite communities and as part of kind of all these investments, the owner has also provided some funding for specific projects in London. So one of those is the Imperial War Museum, who are building their new Holocaust galleries. 
which are finally opening this year in October. It's, I think, in total a 30 million pound project. Um, and the owner has contributed some to that to ensure that these galleries can, can be built. Mm-hmm. So it's going to become one of the top global um, exhibitions um, on the Holocaust and a great additional kind of learning tool to ensure that we, um, well, to ensure that you save those kind of, and have a place in London where people can go and learn more about this. Um, and as part of that partnership, for example, we've already had a, an event at the Imperial War Museum where fans were invited and we're planning to do lots and lots of events, private events, once the, the new galleries are open following October. Um, and the same with the Royal Air Force Museum. So what's interesting with them is they came to us with, a, with this idea um, that they wanted to highlight the many the Jewish personnel basically who who served in the Royal Air Force during the Second World War, and there was a very large part, um, or there were a lot of uh, members from the Jewish community who, who volunteered who wanted to help defeat the Nazis. And I think what is quite extraordinary about that is that these stories, you know, obviously it was risky for anyone to join the military or the Royal Air Force at the time. But even more so if you're Jewish, because if you would be captured, that would be it. Um, and you would be sent uh, for execution. So these are really extraordinary heroes who, who did this um, because of this greater cause and, and this greater fight. And bringing their stories to life, and many of these stories are completely untold, to actually show on, on the bravery and what um, the Jewish community in this country did and how they supported defeating the Nazis and, and um, yeah, save the free world, I guess. Um, so as part of that project where um, Mr. Bromwich is sponsoring their exhibition, so they're now, you know, finding the stories and creating all the content they need to be able to have an exhibition. But we've also hosted veterans at Stamford Bridge um, and honored, um, the, you know, their life and, and, and the work they did. And we're planning another event in July where also we're inviting a number of fans to come out and, and, and see the museum and take part. So we try to always kind of the investments and the, the charity donations that Mr. Bromwich does, we always try to kind of link it back to the club to ensure that that also gives access to fans to see, come visit and, and be part of that. Yeah, that's uh, that's fascinating. I just I, I think two, two follow-up questions from that. I think as you say that, you know, choosing to to actively take a, a kind of, you know, leading kind of uh, role in certainly when it comes to sort of promoting, um, you know, sort of anti-Semitism work. How how difficult a decision is that sort of at the top levels to to take on something which can be, as you as you sort of alluded to, quite politically sensitive at times? How 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 difficult is that to, to want to be the, the kind of leading um, sort of persona there? And then also, I suppose, in terms of the 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 feedback from from other um, organisations and people that want to partner up. How rewarding is it then to to see the the kind of the the catalyst or the you know the sort of the step that you've taken open up these these avenues for for other people to to also promote the the fantastic work that they are doing. I think at Chelsea, I, I can't speak for other clubs, but at, at Chelsea, usually the decision making process is it's quite simple to be honest. If it's you know if it's the right thing to do and if we can help do something that ultimately yeah. is a good cause then it will happen. It's not really that complicated in, in terms of getting decisions. There were a few conversations initially, but you know the direction from the owner was, was pretty clear, let's sure. do something. Um, and I think at that time, it was, it was not so more assessing the risk. It was more saying, okay, how do we proceed and launch this campaign, ensuring that everybody are on board? So I think it was just that extra level of, you know, not just 
launch something out of nowhere, um, yeah. but actually building the, the buy-in from everyone, um, because that also makes the campaign stronger. The fact that you're talking about it, I think, is a testament to that, that, you know, everybody needs to be on board. It's not just some entries on a website. Yeah. Um, so I think that is, you know, from that perspective, I think the management of the club is very... Um, is very straightforward and easy. They they don't really kind of they, they don't back down yeah. uh, for risking being criticized by someone. That's just not how they work. Um, in terms of um, sorry, what was your second question? I forgot already. <laughs> oh no, no, it's okay. That, that, that was that was a perfect answer. The, the second one is slightly less serious, but I'm speaking more from a Chelsea fan perspective here. Yeah. You sort you sort of alluded to obviously maybe you know kind of consulting Chelsea fans and you know knowing that maybe collectively we aren't the uh, the brightest of bunches at, at times. What what is sort of the the, the kind of process there to to take in in sort of fan. Um, engagement and engaging with fans in terms of these initiatives and that can be for for anything from the anti-semitism campaign to anything else like how I think fans often maybe feel that they don't have a huge influence on some of the the things that the club does but certainly when it comes to kind of as you say sort of initiatives or charitable initiatives how much consultation or how much sort of interaction with with the Chelsea fan group as a whole how does that sort of steer some of the the direction that we take as as a club in these sorts of areas I don't I mean I don't agree with you I think that I think that the, the well, I've engaged maybe not with everyone, of course, but I engaged slightly tongue in cheek, yeah. <laughs> and I think it is a very smart bunch, actually. Um, I mean, both through the fans forum and the various um, fan groups that are out there, I think there is a quite both an open communication. Yeah. Um, I mean, Simon knows them well. I know a few, um, but during the fans forum, I recall we we had a few meetings, for example, where we presented the campaign, and there were lots of ideas that came out. Obviously, whenever we have um, events uh, or trips, you know, this is usually the vehicle we use as well to invite fans and make sure they know that things are happening. But I quite often even get, you know, messages on Twitter that I try to always, I'm still quite bad at Twitter. I'll, I'll uh, <laughs> admit I don't even have notifications on, which is why sometimes it takes a while for me to respond. But I, I try to... Uh, you know, quite a lot of people just contact me directly, for example, which I think is great with ideas. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it doesn't, ha- everything doesn't have to be so overly organized and bureaucratic. I think just the fact that there's so many club representatives that are in direct contact with lots of different fan groups is enough to really get that input. Um, and I think, so when we present the, this campaign, you know, during different conferences and everybody are asking, you know, how did you, how did this happen? Because the fact that Chelsea became the first club in the world to sign IRA for the Jewish community and, and for the many, many people who work in this field is absolutely you know, astonishing that a football club signed IRA, something that some universities are still hesitating to do. And today, actually, the entire Premier League have signed IRA. It's a huge step and it's a massive, massive um, kind of symbol of support for the Jewish community in the fight against anti-Semitism. And I think, you know, when we always get questions about this, how are the fans reacting, this and that? I mean, we've honestly never really had a backlash. And I think yeah. it's, there's a bit of an exaggeration out there, how fans are, which I think is very unfair. I've never really experienced anything else than supports um, and just good ideas and and feedbacks, which is highly appreciated. Yeah, I, th- I think that uh, that sort of informal relationship that you're pointing to, I think that's incredibly key. You know, I think you get people's kind of natural responses and probably maybe some more ideas that people are maybe less likely to give if they're in a, an executive room at Stanford Bridge, for example. And I think certainly, as you say, 
ability to to just answer somebody's direct message on Twitter from from somebody who's incredibly high profile at the club. That sort of connection, I think, is 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 super interesting. And again, not something that I necessarily see with other clubs as well. So I, I definitely think that that dialogue that you're establishing, even sort of informally between between fans and and certainly people at the club who who have a, a say in terms of the direction of of, of either charitable initiatives or, or initiatives in general, I think that's 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 a very 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 uh, key takeaway for me. So, moving on to I think probably one of the the more prominent uh, campaigns that we've seen recently, and again, this is for, for either of you can can take this one. So we're looking at sort of the say no to hate and also the. The, the the kick it out campaign as well. Just like to know, certainly, you know, obviously over the past couple of years, um, where sort of Chelsea are in terms of, of their their work with these charities, um, and I think maybe as well in terms of how much football can can help in this area um, when it comes to sort of trying to change maybe some of the the sort of societal or systemic problems that we see in society when it comes to racism, anti-Semitism, um, uh, yeah, those, those sorts of things as well. So if if either one of you want to want to take that, that would be that would be perfect. I'm I'm happy to start, um, and I guess if Rhoda wants to uh, to continue, I mean, in in terms of of what football can do, as I, I mentioned before, football is an incredibly powerful tool. Yeah. Um, you know, the fact that there are you know billions of of people around the world supporting um, various clubs, but it gives you um as a as a club the ability to communicate and um to work with your work with your fans and work with your, your your colleagues internally to sort of create a campaign that's going to be incredibly hard hitting and long lasting um what we're very keen to avoid is is, is a flash in the pan yeah. what we wanted to do and as as Rola mentioned around say no anti-semitism we wanted to create something that um left a legacy that was was long lasting that wouldn't just be for example a player putting a t-shirt on one day and then forgetting about it the next we have to bring um the communities that we work in with us um we have to use our our voice to be um a positive um communications tool and a positive tool for education um yeah, amongst all our communities, and it, you know, it's incredibly important that, that football has this role to play, and it's 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 a role that you know we we should be very proud of, um, in terms of of, of of the reach, in terms of the programs that we've got in place, and in terms of our ability to to communicate with people. Um, you know, when a, when a politician may say something, a lot of people will turn off. When a footballer says something. A lot of people are going to listen, and I think it gives us that advantage um, to use that that voice as a very positive one in in society. Yeah, and no, I think just going back to um, sort of something that, that Roller said a little bit earlier, I think really resonated with me, which was that you know the, the I think that we as a club, it's not just sort of actions, as you say, it's not just sort of words on a on a on a website or or a kind of you know a corporate kind of governance document. There is a real kind of um, you know, kind of weight behind actions. And I think certainly in, in this space, it, it, it is, I think probably for me, you know, calling back to the the owner's sort of support for Reese James, who, you know, was, was subject to, I mean, absolutely appalling kind of, you know, racism subjected to him on social media. And actually seeing, I think certainly the, that, uh, you know, the most senior person at the club is is willing to, to actually come out and, and put their name behind, um, you know, both players and also such an initiative. I think, you know, in terms of adding weight to, to actual, um, actions that the club are willing to take. I think that for me, certainly when it came to, you know, being being a fan and obviously 
obviously, you know, I have a, a huge affinity for Chelsea's academy players, seeing the owner actually step forward and, and make that sort of, um, you know, kind of statement publicly. I think that was that was incredibly important. And I think, again, reflects both what you're saying, that this isn't just a, a kind of a box ticking exercise for Chelsea to, to tick in, in terms of some sort of, you know, kind of corporate governance documents. So I think that that's really, really interesting to see. Um, and I think probably moving into maybe one of the, the last two sort of big initiatives, and obviously it's, it's something that is just passing, is the uh, the sort of the Pride Month and, and Chelsea's work with the LGBT plus community. Um, I think again, in, in terms of in terms of Chelsea's role in this, it, it also appears that we are again sort of a club who is kind of sort of at, at the forefront when it comes to promoting um, sort of equality, and certainly when it comes to um, the, the the whole Pride Month. I think I saw a, a huge amount of. Um, you know, both sort of uh, public information and, and, and PR, and, and Chelsea were kind of really promoting it. So, in terms of in terms of those sorts of initiatives, again, you know, what is sort of the the the, the kind of the main focal point here in terms of promoting that equality? Is is, is it sort of something that um, the, the the club is 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 clearly you know promoting in terms of the 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 sort of the the way that it, it conducts itself? I'm just curious in terms of of linking with you know the various sort of Chelsea LGBT group, uh, groups. Um, you know, what is sort of the, the interaction with fans there? What has been sort of the main uh, sort of the main goal in terms of the work, particularly in, in the past month? Because I noticed that it's been it's been kind of very sort of salient and tangible in, in sort of the, the footballing space that Chelsea have been very pro um, sort of the, the Pride Month in particular. So, yeah, in terms of in terms of interactions with fans, in terms of sort of this being, again, a prominent part of the club's kind of social DNA, what, what, what has sort of been the, the thinking here? And again, in terms of promoting equality, how does this sort of reflect on the on the club's kind of objectives and it's it's kind of uh, um, sort of you know kind of moral standpoints, I would say. Um, uh, again, I'm, I'm I'm happy to to start on this. I think equality is is equality, and I think football yeah. fans aren't uh, a homogenous group um, that is perhaps is has been perceived in the past. You know, a football club needs to reflect its community um, and needs to be an environment where Absolutely, every single fan feels safe and feels valued uh, and feels part of the football club and, and the work with um, Chelsea Pride and, and the LGBT community reflects that ethos of the football club yeah. that you know we are a football club that embraces diversity. We are a football club that encourages or demands equality uh, and you know, people who who disagree with 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 that philosophy are not welcome um, to be part of the, of the Chelsea family. You know, yeah. it supports support Chelsea, supports equality is, is the mantra that we've been using for the last um, last few years, and I, and I think now more so than any other time is is the ethos of of, of the football club. You know, when you go outside Stamford Bridge now. Um, you will see the, the flag posts um, will have the No to Hate logo. You'll see the LEDs at games will have, um, you know, support for for equality uh, yeah. at every single game. Um, it's not something, as you said, that's it, a tick box exercise for us. It's something that we passionately believe as, as an organisation and something that, uh, as I mentioned before, we want fans to feel valued and, and safe when they come to support Chelsea, uh, no matter what their background is. Yeah, I, th I think the the point you touched on there with diversity is 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 fascinating because I think again, you know, some it, it feels in some cases that uh, you know again this is sort of one of those kind of tick boxes that that clubs go through. But 
at Chelsea, certainly, you know, if you look at diversity in kind of all its various um, incarnations, you know, through whatever prison that you want to look at, it seems to be kind of a real sort of fundamental point within the club that that we have um, people from diverse backgrounds, cultures, races, um, all, all sort of, as I said, through, through the spectrum of, of diversity. And you can almost sort of see certainly when it comes to not just these sorts of initiatives, but obviously in terms of the, the playing the playing side of things as well, that the the enrichment that I think the club has from having so many different people from from various walks of life um, and how that I think filters through to just the the absolute vast you know amount of initiatives that you guys are, are overseeing. So it, you know for somebody who again is is somebody is, is incredibly sort of pro diversity when it comes to my own sort of working life as well to see that replicated at the club and again being you know something that the club I think is 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 keen to to be seen to be you know actioning and actually putting into practice rather than you know sort of have a, a, a sort of some sort of byline or a document that they need to sign off is 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 really encouraging I think from from a, a fan perspective but also just the the way that I think it, it contributes to the sort of the culture that Chelsea have have kind of cultivated over the the past 20 or so years since the owner's been in charge. Um, I think that the last point I would just want to talk to you before we maybe go through is just, just some of the, the sort of, I don't, I don't want to call them smaller initiatives, but maybe some of the ones that we can we can talk about in a slightly more quickfire manner. But um, I think from from a personal standpoint, the, the amount of, of pride that I've had in the club and how it has dealt with the pandemic as a whole, I think has been absolutely enormous. Um, obviously, you know, again, being a fan, I, I would defend the club to the death, but seeing the the actual, the the actionable work, the, the real kind of tangible things that the club have done during the pandemic, whether that is to do with, with staff or, you know, not furloughing people, um, work with the fans, engaging with the community, um, work with the NHS. I mean, I, I, could, I could go on in terms of listing items here. Um, I'd love to just get a, a perspective from, from either of you in, in terms of, um, sort of what has been sort of the the, the driving force between uh, or what has been the driving force behind the club being such a a prominent sort of uh, player in terms of dealing with the with the pandemic in such an excellent manner. I don't, I'm, I'm not going to bring other clubs in in terms of how they've handled things, but I think if you were to do a very clear kind of uh, juxtaposition between Chelsea and other clubs, I think our tick boxes would be slightly higher than most. So I just would, would love to get some, some comments from either of you in terms of, of how you felt we've dealt with the pandemic and also I think as well, the, the kind of pride that I think a lot of fans have seen in terms of how the club have have acted um, during the past eighteen months. So uh, yeah, either of you, if you want to jump in on that, that, that would be that would be great. Yeah, happy to. Um, I think you know at the start at the of the pandemic, obviously very confusing time for everyone. I remember those initial weeks where it was kind of okay, so it's maybe two weeks, three weeks, and then we can do it. And I mean, it was still this. I remember quite hopeful um <laughs> two week lockdown you know, and it'll be done <laughs> <laughs> we didn't obviously know we would be in lockdown for over a yeah. year but um i think quite early on you know we once we understood how serious this was going to hit um the community it was pretty clear from the beginning kind of from the owner um as well as the board that okay we, we need to manage this properly we need to Right now, the focus needs to be to understand how do we take care of everyone at the club and what can we do to not support the community? How have the circumstances changed and where can we make the biggest difference? So it wasn't, um, it was a direction as always in terms of, you know, these are the values that are basically going to guide us through this process. And it was a very changing environment at the time. You basically didn't know what was going to happen the following week. But I think because we have these, you know, very quick decision Um, we have a quick way to reach decisions, especially on issues like this. Um, So once there is direction set out that this is what we want to do, 
all of us who work in the field have quite a lot of flexibility in terms of what we want to do and kind of can, can turn that around quickly. So I think um, one of the first things I will say, I mean, obviously we are also a privileged club because we we have a, an owner who's financially strong. Sure. Um, that doesn't necessarily guide everything, as, as I think we also saw during the pandemic, but it's definitely, you know, it, it does put us in the in a category where we are privileged enough to be able to give back and, and actually focus on that rather than like saving in and, and, and trying to, um, and, and just focus on, on the losses. Right. So it is a privileged position to be in, to be able to help. Um, so I think, you know, the first one was the first thing was to set out, um, kind of understand how we, we deal with employees, both kind of permanent staff, but also temporary staff, making sure that everyone was, taken care of, um, that everybody was feeling safe, not anxious and, and things like that. And then we started looking at our existing charities, um, how we needed to help them more, maybe change the way we worked with them. But I think also during this time, we were trying to be open to new problems that, you know, came to light. So one of that was obviously domestic abuse. I think yeah. quite early on, during the the lockdown, uh, we started seeing just horrendous numbers of domestic abuse being on the rise. And it wasn't just in the UK. I mean, we saw these numbers in the US and, and other places. So quite quickly, this came onto our radar. And, you know, we have a, this is not a women's issue. Domestic abuse is not a, an issue for women to sort. Obviously, it's for, for the entire society. But I think we do have a, a quite strong commitment at the club to support, you know, women's causes um, which has been demonstrated, obviously, for, for many years. So this was something that really, A, we saw this as an issue that's clearly connected to the pandemic, where you just need to address this immediately. So quite quickly, we turned around a campaign with Refuge, um, who are, you know, it's the national charity supporting women and children suffering from domestic abuse. And we launched the campaign. We had great support from players and from the club. Um, and we launched a fundraiser where the owner was basically matching um, all the funds donated from fans. And it was an incredible response from wow. fans. I mean, again, we have to keep in mind, this was a very difficult time from everyone. People yeah. had lost their jobs, didn't have incomes. So even, you know, whatever small amount somebody could contribute, I think is a huge, um, a, a huge thing to do and, and highly you know, grateful for that. And in the end, uh, we were able to donate over half a million pounds to Refuge which helped 6,000 women during that wow. period, which is just an incredible, you know, those are yeah. 6,000 individual stories. It's kids, it's, it's whole family. So that was a very proud moment, I think, for all of us to be able to do that. So I think, and we continue, I mean, we still just last weekend or two weekends ago, we had a, you know, we opened a, the stadium as a vaccination center. We try to be extremely kind of flexible and quick and just see where can we help and, and, and act on that. So it's been, it's definitely been different. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think the, the partnerships developed with the NHS and the city and others have been, it, it's been great from that perspective to, to see, you know, the role we can play in the community and actually being able to do that and carry through. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. And I think from a, from a foundation perspective, um, you know, we, we mirrored um, and with the support of the football club and, you know, within within a week of of lockdown being call, uh, called, you know, we had online soccer schools um, ready to go. We had online lesson plans. We had books being produced daily to get so kids who were 
homeschooling had had some something to do. Um, you know, we we had our pensioner groups were all sort of linking in on 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 Zoom and and Teams, and we had our ex players doing sort of guest appearances and players, um, you know, doing virtual visits to to online classrooms and you know the the whole support of the football club and the whole support that the foundation offered in the community was was probably one of my proudest moments at Chelsea. Um, I thought the the way everyone reacted you know, within the foundation and within the football club was was exemplary. And you know, I think you know that's what sets us apart from 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 others is you know the, the quickness as well. I mentioned the flexibility um, to respond to a situation effectively, uh, and I think that that was seen throughout throughout the football club and throughout the, the Chelsea Foundation as well. Yeah, that, uh, that synergy that you guys are talking about between the club and, and obviously the ownership in terms of, I suppose, the ability to make decisions quickly seems fairly kind of flat in terms of an organisational structure. Um, it, it seems to be sort of the, the foundation of, I think, as you say, why we've been able to, to react in, in such an incredibly sort of positive manner. Um, and it's such a sort of quick and, and cutting manner, I would say, in terms of really impacting people's lives. Um, those numbers, roller, uh, roller for the refuge charity, the 6,000, that, that is uh, pretty breathtaking, actually. Again, I think something that not many people will, will know. So that sort of information, I'm, I'm really happy that people will be getting a, uh, an insight that, uh, yeah, Chelsea is obviously just a, a, a tiny bit more than, than the meets the eye in terms of the playing side of things. I, I had genuinely had no idea that the club had impacted that many people. So that sort of stuff is, is absolutely uh, fantastic to see. Hey guys, this is your editor Jake here. I'm going to have to be that guy. I'm going to have to throw it at the ads. I know this is a great episode from Joe Tweeds. Keep listening right after this break. And thank you to our sponsors. I have about another 10 bullet points here with about another 20 sub bullet points. So I think in the interest of uh, of trying to keep this uh, sort of relatively short in terms of, of the time here, I just want to touch on maybe some of the, the other kind of key initiatives here. Um, and possibly, again, if, if maybe people have some some detailed follow-up questions, I could love to to get, to get your guys on some sort of follow-up in the future. But I'll, I'll try and keep the rest of this fairly brief because uh, those four initiatives, I think for me, certainly were sort of the, the kind of key ones that I wanted to, to touch on in depth. But I think, as I said at the beginning, there's there's so much that's going on here that it's actually quite uh, difficult to capture it all in, in an hour. But uh, we'll, we'll try and go through, I think, some of the ones that we maybe haven't touched on here. So um, I think, Simon, you mentioned sort of in your, your introduction here, you, you touched on the, the past players' trust. Um, I think in terms of just giving sort of a brief outline of, of, of what it is and, and maybe sort of the importance of it from a from a Chelsea standpoint, but also for the for the players that it helps benefit, that would be that would be very fascinating to hear. Yeah, so um, I mean, it, the Past Players Trust uh, became part of of the foundation when the foundation was created. It, it's 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 always been there or thereabouts around the football club, but we wanted to uh, sort of take it on within the foundation. Um, what it does is it offers uh, former players the opportunity who may have fallen on hard times, who may need any kind of medical or welfare assistance, um, the opportunity to to work with the football club for us to um, donate towards those treatments or you know any of their their welfare issues. Um, you know, it's again, it's it's about doing the right thing, and it, it, it's about. Um, celebrating our history and, and giving back to the players that help make Chelsea the football club that it is today. Um, you know, and it's not necessarily just the older players now. You know, we're looking to help um, academy graduates and the first generation of 
of professional female players have started to retire. So I think that's going to become uh, an ever-increasing focus of our work uh, within the Players' Trust as well. Um, every Christmas, we send uh, Christmas hampers to every player over the age of 55, which I think is just, again, an acknowledgement from, from the football club that you know, our players are part of a family. And certainly with, with the past players have, have created the Chelsea that, that we all support today. Yeah, I think the the fascinating thing you mentioned there is obviously, that I think you say that the first generation of, of women's footballers to, to start retiring and looking for, for opportunities and how the club will support them. Um, one of the, the things that I noticed, certainly, again, in terms of point series, is how I think the club and probably particularly the owner, um, you know, listening to, to Emma Hayes sort of, you know, wax lyrically about the support that the club and the owner in particular gives her, um, you know, the tools to, to do her job. And, you know, she, for me, certainly is one of the, the, the best sort of football minds that, that you can you can listen to, particularly in the Euro. She's been absolutely fantastic. But I'd have to just sort of look at sort of, you know, in terms of kind of the, the sort of female engagement programmes that we have. Notice that Claire, Claire Rafferty has been uh, linked with some Inspire to Empower clinics or, or sort of um, sort of presentations as well. And I think really just the, the club's role in, in pushing the envelope, I would say, for, for women's football in the UK. Um, you know, how, how, how are we sort of kind of at the forefront of, of, of those sorts of initiatives? But I think what's has always um, been interesting to me about the women's team, and I've often asked um, um, the owner just myself to, you know, when we're preparing um, different press communication or, you know, if we're doing interviews, like, what, what is your view on this and why did you invest so much at certain early stage? And he always looks at me quite confused in terms of what do you mean? Why not? Like, why is this even like, and I think that's the point we're, we're sometimes kind of trying to look for a reason. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? But I think in his mind, you know, football is a community. Yep. It's current players, it's past players, it's the fans, it's kids, it's women, men. I mean, it's, you know, everyone who basically likes to watch or kick around the ball is basically part of, <laughs> of the football community. <laughs> and if you have a club and you're going to have, you know, a, a women's team, you can't really treat that as a charity. So either you do it properly or you don't do it at all. I think that's very much his approach. And why wouldn't you want to give uh, women the same opportunities to play at a professional level? Yep. So I think what's interesting there and impressive, I guess, is that when we when he started investing, you know, it, it was really, I think he was quite a pioneer in some extent, to some extent, because it wasn't, I think where we are today, where, you know, women's football is very much on the agenda and everybody talks about it. I don't think that was necessarily the case uh, back then when he started making those investments. And you can really see the tremendous impact it has had and support to Emma, you know, showing up at the, at the final. It's, it's a very um, interesting relationship and, I think the support has been there from the start, but but not for a specific reason. It's just that why not, you know? And and that's what's what's quite cool about it. And from my perspective and everything we do, um, you know, with the women's team, everybody is always included. I mean, I think, and I think that's the the, the true nature of being really one club. Um, if we're doing activities or trips or whatever it is, you you always make sure you know that everybody are included from both from both teams. Um, so the, yeah, so the women's team, I think their success and progress and, and Emma Hayes being the superstar she is, um, I think it's really a testament to that and, and the investments that have been made over so many years. Simon, did you want to jump in? Yes, no, I was, I was um, 
saying much the same thing about Emma and, and what a fantastic role model um, she is for, for all footballers, frankly. Um, but the players, again, um, really support the foundation's work, um, particularly around encouraging um, female football. Um, yeah, we, we've got a number of programmes now that specifically target more female players um, from, from schools to female-only college programmes all the way up to women's walking football. And, and everything in between that. We've got mixed teams that take part in in various events up and down the country. Um, so it's something that, again, from a foundation perspective, um, I think Rolo summed it up perfectly with, with why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we support young women playing football? Uh, I know when I first started at the foundation, the dropout rates between um, you know, young girls leaving primary school um, and then going to secondary school, the drop-off rates for sport were were horrific. And you know, if you can give young female, you know, players the opportunity to develop their game early and give them a good education in in sport, women are much more likely to carry that on into into, into later life, through school and and post school. And I think that's an important lesson that um, that we learn early on, and something that. Yeah, we are now offering opportunities for female players of all ages, you know, in all our communities. And I think it's an important part of, of the future of the foundation. Yeah, that's uh, that's really fascinating. And it actually, it brings me back to a podcast that I think uh, an ex-Chelsea women's player, Ali Riley, she was on a, a podcast called I Am Athlete a few, maybe a few weeks ago now. And I'm paraphrasing a tiny bit here, but she was saying, talking about her impressions of, of playing in Europe and particularly at Chelsea. And she was sort of making uh, kind of reference to the fact that this was the first sort of club that she'd been at where she felt sort of an equal kind of citizen in terms of the way that the club actually handled the women's team and the men's team. So I think it's yeah, it's fascinating to see that that uh, kind of real sort of, I suppose, thought of, of the club to to create that sort of equal environment is, is certainly felt by by players, even those who maybe have you know only been at the club for, for a year. So, yeah, that's uh, that's really, really fascinating to, to hear about. Um, I think maybe one or two more just to just to finish up here. And I think the one that, that maybe sticks out to me is sort of Chelsea's kind of education through through kind of football um, sort of initiative that we have. And there's there's a ton of, of things here. You've got sort of an employee an employability program, uh, the Chelsea Champions program, the Chelsea Foundation Agree, the STEM program. Um, and I think there's also this edge of the box club, which I thought looked really interesting. That's something that I think Guy Lawrence delivers to to young people. So in terms of, I think, again, you know, using um, sort of Chelsea as a vehicle to to really sort of educate and, and use you know football as an, as an education tool. Um, what what sort of has been the thought process behind this? Particularly, I, I mean, I'm interested in in sort of the Chelsea Foundation degree um, and the employability program. But again, it seems that we are sort of using the the club and its its sort of power and its you know the, this sort of vehicle for change to to really sort of help people in terms of, of education. So the foundation degree and the employability program, I think, are fascinating, and maybe the edge of the box club as well. If if, if there's anything that you can you can share on those, I think people would be be very interested to hear. Yeah, so the employability program is is working with local job centres and the uh, the long term unemployed community. Um, when we're when we have been allowed, we've been taking um, cohorts into Stamford Bridge. We've been developing their um, uh, their CV writing skills using computers. We've been giving them interview techniques with you know with the idea that in 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 a 10-week program, you're going to develop the skills that are going to give you a better opportunity um, to get a job. 
Um, so we've found that that's been a, a huge success. Um, it's something that we're particularly keen to encourage and you know, link into what we call our entrepreneur program, where, again, we're encouraging people um, with business ideas to develop um, startups using examples from around the football club. So your finance, marketing, design, technology, using those like marketing is, is, is a huge part of that. But using examples from around the football club and around the football industry um, to encourage young, young and old people um, to develop their sort of business skills um, with the idea that they will have a develop a startup and then we support those startups through as you mentioned the edge of the box club where we invite the local business community leaders into Stamford Bridge or at the moment online um, so the, you know, the, the younger startups can get some encouragement and some advice from from people who are experts in their field and again it's about it's about linking up and about using the football club as, as, a, as a tool for education, but also to help inspire people um, to develop their, their potential. Um, the Chelsea champions you mentioned, that's where we actually have a, a, a coach or a, a, an employee go into secondary schools, not just to provide sport, but to provide um, emotional support and resilience support. Um, you know, again, people are more likely to, to want to engage with someone wearing a Chelsea tracksuit than with uh, with a with a teacher, and, and yeah. you know we can offer some real tangible support to, to young people who are very often going through difficult times. Um, again, it's it's using football as a force for good, you know, in all our communities, but particularly amongst younger people, giving them the tools to be able to you know develop their own resilient skills. Um, and then finally, well, not finally, because we've actually done, <laughs> I think we worked it out the other day, it's about 500 programmes taking wow. place every week uh, in in our communities. And that takes place week in, week out. So as you can imagine, the, the reach that we have is huge. But the Chelsea Champions, um, uh, sorry, the Chelsea Degree Programme is working with St Mary's University. So... You know, people are getting educated in the football industry, not necessarily just in coaching, but in administration, in business skills, in um, scouting, in all facets of of, of the uh, of the football industry. So, by the time the people, you know, the graduates are coming out of university, they've got a real good indication of of, of their future football career, and it's developing young professionals for the football industry, and and hopefully changing the football industry from within as well. Um, so, you know, it's just a you know a massive undertaking for for everyone concerned in the foundation and the football club, but one that we are fully supported um, by, you know, the very top all the way down. Yeah, I mean, th th I think this is probably something that you could probably talk about for, for an hour if you've got over 500 different things happening on a weekly basis. Th th there's me with my four bullet points thinking it's fairly straightforward. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, again, I think it's it, it's fascinating. And I think both kind of inspiring as well to see just, just how kind of diverse these kind of various programs that the club have. And as you say, everything from you know, something that, that maybe most people would take for granted, being able to, to write a CV all the way through to, you know, maybe learning about how to be a director of football or scouting or whatever it might be at St. Mary's, you know, that breadth of, of um, sort of skills that you're being able to, to teach people and being able to, to host and to push onto people is, 
is is absolutely uh, incredible, really. And hopefully, I think as you said, you know, will inspire sort of uh, the next generation to um, hopefully produce and, and and go on to have careers in in whatever field it is that they want to as well, which is fascinating. Um, last point before I, I finish up with my final two questions, and I think we've we've spoken fairly sort of domestically about sort of Chelsea at the moment. So I'm curious in terms of sort of the club's kind of global sort of charitable initiatives. Um, I know that we have an awful lot of a uh, lot of soccer schools or camps in in America and Hong Kong, China. Um, also, we we partner with Plan International. So just uh, just to touch upon sort of the club's kind of global role, um, sort of beyond beyond the UK. I think that would be an interesting uh, interesting point to, to end on for the for the bulk of the podcast. So how are we sort of I suppose in, in impacting the the world globally beyond the, the remits of, of London and the UK, etc. That would be that would be interesting to hear. Yeah, I mean I'm happy to to take this one. Um, Again, it's it's the constant theme throughout um, throughout this podcast. I hope is that we want to make a difference, yeah. and we, we do these things not just because we can, but because they're the right things to do. Um, so, working with with Plan International, um, we were the first football club to carry a, a charity logo on our Champions League shirts. Um, formerly with with Right to Play, when we first. Uh, won the, the Champions League, and latterly, when we won the Champions League uh, last season, with with our partner with with Plan International on the back, you know, we're supporting them through raising awareness of their work. Yeah. Um, as you, you imagine the, the global audience that saw Plan International, but also through supporting their their programs. Um, I was very privileged to go out to Jordan um, with the chairman, Mr. Buck. Um, and to go into a refugee camp and see the work that's going on there with, with Plan International. Um, similarly, I, I went to Ghana um, a long time ago now um, to look at the Plan programmes using football to help educate young women, uh, which is, you know, something that you wouldn't think would happen. But you know, football is this, this huge tool for engagement globally, which is something that we're particularly keen on encouraging. Um, so as, as you mentioned, we, we've got soccer schools taking place in Europe. We've got soccer schools taking place in, in Southeast Asia. We've got permanent programs now in, in Singapore and, and Hong Kong where you know, we're not just offering um, individuals the chance to, to play on a, you know, a Chelsea program, but we're, we're engaging with the local community as well and using those facilities to, to benefit the wider community. Um, and it's something that we're incredibly proud of and something that we want to you know, develop much much further you know that we are a global football club we're a world leading charity uh, organization and it's something that we want to see develop over the forthcoming months and forthcoming years and something to, to help create a long-lasting legacy for our global fan base and if i can add something to that well this will be a bit of a a sneak launch then for for all the listeners of this podcast because we haven't really announced this but um what i found really interesting is you know how many organizations globally actually also reach out to us and and want our help on on various projects where they feel like our our trademark and what we represent can really help and one such initiative that i'm that we will announce very shortly is um with the paris peace center in israel um, so when, when we took the women's team to Israel in 2019, which was really to celebrate their successes and, and try to promote women's uh, football in Israel, we also did a lot of community work on the ground, including bringing together Jewish and Arab girls um, to play football together, which sounds really straightforward. 
Um, but it is not always. Um, so unfortunately, there's a quite big division, obviously, in the country. And what happens is that, you know, despite living in the same country, um, they almost don't interact with each other until they get to university because it's different neighborhoods. They speak different languages, go to different schools. And it's really unfortunate and, and creates a divide in the community. So what we're going to do as of this year is basically introduce these um, soccer schools, basically, together with the Paris Center and the Israeli FA, where the whole idea is to A, um, recruit university students, so train the trainers, so one Arab and, and, and one Jewish um, student will then be in charge of a group of kids from different schools where, again, they have different backgrounds and really trying to use, again, the power of sports and the power of football to bring together these kids from different backgrounds to, to just, you know, learn to understand each other and, and have fun together. Um, and it's such a powerful tool. And yeah. I think not many people outside really know that these are the kind of things that clubs do and that we do as well. So I'm, I'm very, this is a bit of a early launch because we haven't published <laughs> it yet, but. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take the exclusive. It, especially exclusive for, for London is blue. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's, uh, I think that that's actually a really good point to segue just to the final piece here, because I think, uh, yeah, I mean, this has been for me like a seminar just on what the club does. And, you know, in terms of the the scope, the breadth of what we do, the kind of corners that we touch, um, you know, the sort of, as you kind of alluded to, the sort of future initiatives. And I think that uh, the term I'm going to take from this is, you know, sort of doing the right thing sort of trumps kind of all of the the sort of the, the, the thought processes at Chelsea. If it's the right thing to do, it seems certainly from from what you both have discussed, that that is going to be kind of the, you know, the kind of the, the, the top pop point of, of decision making. If it's right to do, then we will progressive it. And I think, again, for, for people listening to this, you know, the, the just the sheer different and different kinds of things that we're involved with and, and different kinds of, of of programs and initiatives, it's it's absolutely incredible. And I think from from my perspective, I've definitely learned an, an awful lot across the 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 kind of the enterprise that is Chelsea here. And you know, for for fans who are listening as well, I mean, I've I've not touched on about another six bullet points. So you know, it just goes to show you that there's there's so much happening, um, sort of behind the scenes and off the field in terms of of what the club does as well. Um, and yeah, I just I, I want to thank you both, obviously, for, for for your time first and foremost, but also for for the work that you both oversee and, and obviously have have been sort of undertaking for the for, for, you know the past number of years at, at the club. Um, you know, this I think creating awareness of what we actually do outside of you know winning Champions Leagues and winning football titles, which obviously we are all very happy about. But creating that awareness, I think, of what the club does is is very important. Um, certainly, you know, I think our, our profile was kind of raised during the pandemic, but seeing that beyond. Um, you know, beyond the past 18 months, all of these initiatives and all of these kind of programs and all of this work has been happening, I think for me and hopefully for, for listeners will be quite eye-opening. So yeah, thank you from from me um, on behalf of myself and also Chelsea fans, because yeah, this is it's pretty exceptional in terms of what you guys are, are sort of achieving and, and continuing to, to sort of push the boundaries there. So thank you for that. Um, and before we go, I have two slightly less intense questions in terms of what it is we want to finish on here. And I think um, Simon alluded to a bit earlier, but I'm um, going to give you guys an opportunity to pat yourselves on the back a tiny bit. I want to know kind of what piece of work at the club, um, if you can pinpoint one, are you most proud of? And I'll go with, with Rola, first of all. Over the I'll past... put you on the spot here. Started at the club. <laughs> could, 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 could be for... Oh, yes, since you've been at the club. Since I've been at the club. Okay. Um... I 
think I will have to say the Say No to Semitism campaign, um, just because, you know, we really started from nothing and built a campaign that is now globally recognized yeah. by governments, by leading organizations and institutions, and, and that we really managed to to do this properly from scratch and develop a, a kind of leading example of, of how you can tackle this issue. Yeah, so I think I think you say that the, from what you've spoken about, the the catalyst, the reference point that that campaign and making that stance, um, you know, public and, and very robust has sort of created is, is absolutely crazy. The, the links that obviously have, have come from that, the networking, the, the sort of the, the, the collaboration with these various sort of organizations. I think that, that is, um, absolutely fascinating to see that that has come from, as you say, taking a, a robust stance. And again, you know, that, that phrase doing the right thing. So that's very interesting. Uh, I'll ask the same question to you, Simon, what, what piece of work would you say that you're the most proud of? Um, appreciate you've been at the club 15 years, so you've probably got a few, but, uh, if you could pinpoint one, um, that'd be interesting to, to hear. I would have said the, the Say No to Anti-Semitism campaign as well, um, which is something that I think is now industry leading. Um, if I was to give a different answer, I would say the, the COVID response. Um, yeah. When you saw various and offered disparate parts of the club all pulling together in the same direction, um, as I said before, within Within one week, we had online lessons, all our work um, providing soccer schools. Because if you remember, it was the start of the Easter holidays. You know, within one week, we had online soccer schools. We got 13,000 young people taking part in those soccer schools. We had daily lesson programs. We had online learning. We had pensioner programs. You know, And then the, the support on top of that with uh, Mr. Abramovich's support for... Um, the food for the NHS and the food for the pensioner groups was just you know, eye-opening. Um, yeah. And, you know, in terms of making me proud, that's the, probably the proudest I've ever been of of, of what we've achieved. Um, just the, the, the initial few weeks where it looked like everyone else was, was panicking, but we had a clear plan. We had the flexibility and, and we delivered um, above and beyond, I think, what most people expected. Yeah, I think both of those answers to me indicate fairly high job satisfaction, I would say, in terms of that being able to to have that sort of impact, um, you know, across the globe and, and obviously locally as well in terms of, of Chelsea's pandemic response. Um, yeah, both both incredibly, I think, uh, both incredible achievements. The last question, and this is the, the last one here, is I, I would like to know just from both your perspectives in terms of your sort of individual roles and, and sort of, you know, obviously links with, with the club. What does the what does the future look like for the Chelsea Foundation, and also what does the future look like for special projects and, and initiatives at, at the club? Uh, well, I think for special initiatives, we are, I guess, like many organisations right now, trying to you know being a little bit more confident and planning ahead, um, as it looks like we are somewhat, hopefully soon, writing this out um, the pandemic. But I think. Right now, one of the key focus for us is say no to hate. Um, I think we had, you know, quite a few incidents at the club targeting players, where again the board and the owner said, you know, let's do more. Uh, what's the issue? How can we fix it? And hence, I think some of the online tools we've introduced are they're not as you know flashy as other campaign elements, but they are actually absolutely groundbreaking in terms of taking control of the platform. So rather than just waiting for the social media platforms to change the rules, we have said, well, we're not going to wait anymore. We're going to take action ourselves. So we're going to moderate all of our um, channels. 
we have a professional company doing that. We're offering this um, the service to all the players so that you know we can start just getting cleaning up all of that abuse that we see online. Yeah. Uh, also taking it a step further and actually trying to identify who these individuals are. So that's actually a really comprehensive approach, and it's going to give us some interesting data in terms of you know how does this look, what is the statistics, um, and and how can we better try to to get rid of this. So I think. We have quite a lot of planned on the say no to hate, both um, online, but also a few initiatives um, involving fans, which we hope to launch in in July, where we hope to come together as a global uh, family to really show the diversity of the club. So we have quite a lot of planned on that one. Um, and hopefully we can start doing some trips again and events and, and just try start engaging with the community in person again rather than online. Yeah, I think the, uh, I mean, the, the interesting point there certainly is to do with sort of the, how do you sort of police, you know, social media and, and kind of online evidence. I, I definitely would be interested in seeing obviously how, how that pans out. I think it's, uh, yeah, more than a worthwhile initiative to see if that is some place that can be, I think as you say, you know, if you can take some sort of data and start building out some some uh, intelligence on, on who these people are and what sort of the motivations are, I think that would be incredibly positive, particularly for, for social media usage in general. Um, and I think, again, same same question to you, Simon, to finish up here. What 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 is the future? Of the of the Chelsea Foundation is it is it more of the same or are you looking at sort of branching out into into even more um, things to to sort of help society and, and help um, you know in terms of, of, of delivering on the, on the kind of clubs um, sort of mo here. I think in the immediate term, um, you know, and I'm I'm optimistic that we're through the worst of the pandemic. Um, yeah. Is is helping to rebuild communities. I think there's a lot of communities being affected by what's gone on in the last. 16 months now i think areas around around mental health i think areas around health and well-being are going to become absolutely paramount over the next year or so uh longer term i would love to see the foundation securing its, its place as the leading organization in in club um community organizations i think there's, there's a lot more we can do but i think our immediate priority has to be help helping to rebuild you know the communities and, yeah. and bring bring our groups um, back into face to face delivery um, and providing opportunities um, to help you know unite communities a little bit better. Yeah, that's uh, I think both of those are fantastic answers to to finish up here on. Um, if either one of you, if you've got any, if you have any sort of closing remarks or anything that you would want to to elaborate on, please feel free to to jump in now. Um, if if Rola, if you've got anything to to finish up with, or Simon. Well, I'd first of all like to apologise because my neighbours started drilling. <laughs> um, That's okay. But I, I've know, had worse. I, I think from my perspective, I want fans and the, the Chelsea community to feel immensely proud of what's going on, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch. And that's the yeah. ultimate ambition of, of the Chelsea Foundation. So that's certainly something I, w- I would like to see more of. Yeah, and I guess I just want to say, yeah, thank you also to everyone listening. Um, I mean, I think the... The Chelsea community um, really came together during the pandemic uh, to support for our charities, that to help highlight these issues and these causes that we uh, take on. And it's uh, it's a team effort, really. We wouldn't be able to 
have the reach we have if it wasn't for all of you. So just a, a big thank you from all of us. Perfect. I think that's a that's a perfect way to end up here. So again, Chelsea fans, thank you very much for, for joining me. I'm, I'm hoping this has been as informative for you as it has been for me. Um, until next time, keep the blue flag flying high. Thank you.